Blog Talk Radio. Witches. I am your host, Raina Starr. Welcome to show two of Triple Show Weekend. I'm very excited about today's show, as I am about all my shows, but we'll get to that in a minute. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the one, the only, the incredibly wicked one herself, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios for all of your pagan witching needs, candles, oils, poppets, spell jars, you name it, she's got it, plus, of course, one of my favorite hexing books ever written, Utterly Wicked. Um, If you're new to the show, the show is not a GPG or even an R-rated show, so if bad language, bodily functions, dirty talk of any kind might upset you, this may not be the show for you, but I'm kind of hoping you'll stick around for my amazing guest, author of Hecate, Goddess of Witches, Courtney Weber. Hey, Courtney. Hi, Raina. I miss you. I miss you, too. Oh, my gosh. I miss you so much. All right. So I don't even know. Have we, been in, have we been in the same room at the same time, like, in person? It feels like we have, but I don't think we have. No. That's we what, need, that's what starting to become strange about this, this virtual exercises that we have. Is like Some people I'm like, I'm really close with, and I don't think I've ever shared physical space with this person. Isn't that weird? I mean, I think we need to rectify that when when the world is somewhat safer. But, you know, we've had these – and I don't think you and I have spoken since Biden became president, but there was mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff we talked about before the last election. And, you you know, we had talked about all kinds of and, – and I do want to talk about the book – but there's like so much to catch up on. First of all, tell me how you are. Tell me how things have been going. How are you feeling? What are your thoughts? Hit it. Oh gosh, um, I'm I'm good. Um, I I think I've just adjusted to our new normal, and um, there's a little bit of chaos going on in my house right now. We have people working on the outside of my house, and my husky mix is really struggling with that. And he's processing his trauma wow. by chasing the cats around the house and annoying my husband. So, just if okay. you hear the sounds of thundering paws or a, a strange yeah. man yelling in the background, that is what is going on. <laughs> That's cool. I'm good with that. I have strange men yelling yeah. in my background too. I also have an obnoxious neighbor who feels it necessary to wait until my shows to start mowing the lawn. But okay, oh we're we're gonna just it's probably by design, him. isn't it? Uh, it feels. Like, I mean, I know it's not, but it feels like it is. It's just like every time I open my mouth, you hear, and it's not just me; it's the lawnmower too. So you've got a double thing of that happening. But since the election, I have wanted to talk to you, and what I wanted yeah. to talk to you about was because yeah. I re- I remember that we had talked about the fact 
that there could be a civil war. Now, I know when people think civil war, they're thinking muskets and shit like that. But the civil war, don't you think it's actually happening? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say civil war because we're not actually in active battle with within our own country. Um, we did have an insurrection. Um, there there yeah. was an attempted coup, so that has happened. And it's used to say that it's not happening again. Right. I would not call this a like technically a civil war. Um, I think we have some really eerie parallels to the way the United States was before the Civil War began in that there's a lot of um, just the the battle lines are are very much drawn all the same, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's there it's it it was interesting. I mean, I have my challenges with Bill Maher because I think that he's very dismissive and he's pretty rigid and he's not he he takes a lot of stuff out of context. Um, But this morning he did make a good point on his show is that, um, or last night, I guess, is when it came out, was that politics has become the new religion. And so I'm seeing yeah. people in my outer circles um, that that they are of their political party first, and they are of their mm-hmm. faith second. And it, Interesting. I feel like that's especially true with people on the right. Of course, we have that on the left. They had somebody come into our, our uh, podcast mailbox and was angry at us because we had shit on Trump. We're like, um, hi, have you not heard that Stormy Daniels was our guest? Like, and we've, we've, you know, we've corresponded with her on Clubhouse and stuff like that. So she's kind of a friend of ours. Sure. But yeah, we're not really on yeah. Team Trump. We're much more on Team Stormy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, Which I thought was yeah, awesome, this is, by the way. Oh, thanks. It was so... It was so much fun. So I had actually now now we're going off in a completely different direction. But welcome to talking to me. That's okay. um, the, yeah. I was listening I to it. her. Uh, <laughs> I was listening to her podcast with what was that that douchebag's name? Was it, it was Michael Cohen? Right? Was the former lawyer Michael Avenatti? No, 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 Michael Avenatti. No, 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 Michael Avenatti was her lawyer. Who was Trump's lawyer? Michael Cohen, my husband. That's what I thought. I just wanted to confirm. (laughs) Oh, my God. So he's got a new podcast. It's called Mea Culpa. I'm like, oh, my God. It's disgusting. So he's basically apologizing to everyone that he lammed on as as they were coming up. And then um, Stormy was on the show, and he was, like, mining her for details about her intimate encounter with Trump. And I felt so (sighs) uncomfortable on her behalf. Because yeah. not everybody, some people have been lucky and have had better judgment than most of us, including myself. They're like Most of us have had moments where you look back and you kind of cringe a bit when you think about somebody you were intimate with. Like, yeah, that was not my best right. choice. And uh-huh. like, I wouldn't go there again. And from everything Stormy said, that's what it was for her. She says, no, I wasn't a victim. I was not assaulted. I knew what I was into. Right. She's like, but I just didn't want to go there again. And he pursued her and she's like, oh. No, she kind of ghosted on him. It just seemed like a pretty yeah. awkward, normal interaction. And then he started harassing her and stuff like that. But but Michael kept like mining her for details about their time together. And I'm like, oh God! <sighs> like if somebody wanted to give me a hard time, point left, say, hey, you shacked up with that person, I'd say, oh yeah, I did. But I really wouldn't want to start yeah. going into all the details. Meanwhile, Stormy is trying to turn the conversation into promoting her new paranormal show. 
And I was uh-huh. like, holy shit, she's into the paranormal realm now. And so I reached out to my co-host. It's like, we've yeah. got to do it. We've got to reach out to Stormy. And they were completely on board. And so I messaged her or emailed her and said, hi, I have this podcast called That Witch Life. We'd love to have you come on and talk about your paranormal work. And we're not going to ask any uh-huh. questions about 45. If you want to bring them up, you can. But we really just want to talk to you about the cool stuff you're doing. She wrote back within 45 right. minutes and said, yeah, she'd love to. And she was totally she's professional. A, she was a lot of fun. Yep. Yep. She seems awesome. Definitely. Yeah. She's, she's a sweet woman. Um, she is completely 100% on, on witch land now. She has supported small witchcraft businesses, including the Witches Resistance. Nice. And, um, nice. yeah, and it's just like, yeah, recently I was just, just yesterday she was posting a picture where she's, she's uh, posing with a piece of rose quartz. Like honey, and she's got like triple moon tattoos. She's recently gotten. She's totally a witch, and so we're like, yay! So that's pretty great. I love that. Mm. That is great. Yeah, I, I love hearing that. But you know, I think now maybe I should have clarified when I said civil war because I think civil war could mean more than just you know again guns and muskets. It, it's a technical war. I think it's an emotional war. I think it's obviously a political war. And I think the things you had predicted, because you had said that a lot of people, and I don't know if you even remember saying this, but you had said that a lot of people were going to say that it was a lie, the election, and that Mm -hmm. Trump was going to win no matter what the actual facts showed. And I and I kept thinking that during the election, and it's like I, I still think about it when I see the insurrection and I see the videotapes and I see all the anger and the hostile mobs and, you know, just encounters that I have with people that I have to work with who are of that stripe. You know, they look at me as, you know, a latest snob asshole liberal, and sometimes depending on who it is, because I work with some of these people, it's like Trump-loving, gun-toting, gay-hating redneck, you know what I mean? So I, and I, it's very easy for me to slip into that as well, so I have to be very mindful. Um, but I see it. I see it everywhere, and it, it just reminds me of that conversation we had where it's like, oh, she pretty much nailed all this shit right here. So what do you think, now that we're at that point, how do you think we progress? Is there a chance, do you think, that we can somehow survive this mess or make it better so that we can kind of pull the country back together some? Um, I, honestly, I don't know. I think hmm. I, I can tell you what I'm trying to do, and I don't know if, if there – I don't – I this is one of the few times that I've not had a plan of action. Like I've every, every, you know, ever since I've been an activist, I've always thought this is what we all need to do. And I've, you know, been able to shout that on social media as here's the plan. And it honestly, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, being here in Oregon and we're really feeling the pinch of climate change in um, at a very dramatic sure. way. I, I feel yeah. like if there's anything that, that, that it's, it's like, if there's anything that, that could unify us, it's, look around at what's going on right now. We have some, I mean, I live in a, a quasi rural area. So we have some, some farmers out here a little bit older who really believe that, 
climate change is a hoax and that um, it's just about wanting to, um, um, you know, push socialism. But I don't feel like that's the the way that younger people feel so much. Um, somewhat, I you know, I still run into some people that just want to ignore all the science as much as possible, or they think that there's nothing that can be done. But I think that the one thing that keeps that we have to focus on right now is is drastically reducing the carbon emissions. Um, it, mm-hmm. It's really tough for me to be in space with someone, especially if they're not they didn't experience the fires of last year um, that they didn't uh, that that, you know climate change is happening to them too but it's either not in their faces or it's subtler so they're able to ignore it or explain it away Um, it's harder for me to be in those spaces right now and I because I don't I honestly don't know what to say like last year I I, one of my I I really stopped moved away from Facebook but last year I, I put a huge post on my Facebook page that's because outside we, we couldn't see across the street. There was so much smoke from the wildfires mm-hmm. and it, it didn't just smell like wood. It smelled like chemicals. Um, and you know that when sure. you're breathing that in, you're also breathing in the remains of, of human beings and animals and people that perished in these flames. Um, and sure. um, just having that in your, in your face, and even in our own house, we were, I was struggling to breathe because we live in an old house and it's porous. And um, I put out a post and I said, I'm not going to listen to anybody right now argue as to why you think somebody that Biden isn't the best candidate um, or that you just don't feel like voting because it's, it's all rigged. So we have two choices. You don't you don't have to like everything that Biden does, but he's taking climate change seriously and um, he right. has a plan to address it. And then and I said, so I really don't want to hear right now about how you don't like a two party system. We don't have time for that right now. We need to vote and we need to exactly. get somebody in office who's not calling this a, a, a hoax and blaming it on uh, blaming it on uh, Chinese media, which is what we had for four years and lost four years of very valuable time, or says we need just to rake more in our forests and that will fix everything. And I still had somebody, <laughs> a, a cis, white, heterosexual man on the East Coast was like, well, let's think about it this way. Are you sure that Biden, I'm like, motherfucker, I cannot breathe. So do not yeah. tell me where you are right now in your clean air where you've, you've been reading your blogs and pontificating and reading your freaking whatever, you know, about why the two-party system is still. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with our system. I'm not going to lie. At the same time, you're a douchebag. You're going to tell me that I need to start thinking about other options when I don't have air to breathe. And we have two, really just two options on the table, either the guy that doesn't believe in climate change or the guy that does. Right. So let's get exactly. let's let's move forward on this agenda, and then we can start complaining about the two party system. Um, but as for like, I I feel that if there's any blessing to what happened with the insurrection, I feel like some of the massive right wingers, pro Trumpers, took a step back and went, "Whoa, okay, uh, that wasn't my party." I saw a little bit of that in social media. Where people said, "I didn't sign on for this. I want I signed on for lower taxes." And this is not my, right. this is not what I want to have anything to do with. And you're watching, I think that the biggest risk right now is people being complacent because we've got Biden in office that everything's going to be okay. We still have the, we still have Republicans in Congress that are spinning the narrative and wanting to talk. They're, they're trying to um, blame uh, critical race theory as, as the main ilk in our community and, and just changing the conversation away from problem from what happened at the at the capital um, what happened at the capitol and just say that that didn't happen that wasn't yeah. an issue that these weren't our people also let's not talk about that let's talk about something else 
that's that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. They're they're minimizing the dangers yeah. that happen there. It's like, guys, you were almost killed too. They would have killed you as well, Ted Cruz. <laughs> mm-hmm. They would have you along the tent. You 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 were that's in right. Mitch McConnell, you were in danger. All of you fuckers were in danger. Hmm. Right. But unfortunately, because, and you know, and here's the thing, because I think, obviously, Trump did create the insurrection. He had told people where to go. He had told people when to go. Um, Somehow he wasn't with them when he said he was going to be. That was interesting. But, but, and, and in addition to that, you have the, this cult-like following for him and I don't think that the Congress people necessarily agree or even like Trump but I think the lure of power and keeping that nice cushy job is much more enticing than having to deal with reality Um, because I just can't believe that that many people in Congress started off as just horrible um, you know, repu- being a Republican isn't the illness. Just like being a Christian isn't the illness. It's what you right. do with it that makes it the illness. Um, you know, so I, I just find it interesting that a lot of the things you had predicted uh, are happening, have happened, will probably continue to happen. You know, and, you know, you have battle lines drawn in the simplest of places now because of an illness. Let me just remind folks that Trump is the one who actually fast-tracked the vaccine so that uh, people could get it faster. I don't know where there's a disconnect, but even he got booed at his own rally in Alabama when he said that people needed to be vaccinated. So I just, I don't know how that twists in the brain. The libs don't care about owning you, any of my Republican friends who might be listening. It's not about that. We're all trying to stay alive, and we'd rather not watch your kids die because, quite frankly, it's not their fault. Um, You know, there are innocents on, on that side as well. But I find it very interesting that even in an office setting, we have battle lines drawn. We have the liberal wing that says, we're, we're all vaccinated. Everyone in this room is vaccinated. Everyone in the other room is not. Two of them mm-hmm. are. Three of them aren't. And, you know, people are getting sick left and right. And people are getting vaccinated after they're starting to see symptoms. Let me remind you, if you're already seeing symptoms, it is too late to get your first shot. Yeah. You need to go by your doctor's guidance to find out if you have to start over, if you are able to take more vaccinations. You're you're not a scientist. Follow the science. I have a friend named Deborah who's a doctor, and she says, you know, those who don't believe in science should have to live for a day without any of the science, which means no social media, no car, uh, no fluorescent lights. I mean, it runs the gamut of life. When you start saying that you're rejecting Right, right. No, no, no medicine. No painkillers. No car. No. No. Phone, uh, no FDA no approved. Travel. No FDA approved food. So don't go to the grocery store. You have to grow your own exactly. food. Exactly. 
Yeah, I don't think people realize it. And we have been vac- we have been mandated to be vaccinated from birth. You're not allowed to go be with other little kids until you have the list of vaccines that the government says you need to have. You can't go to other countries unless you follow the vaccines that everyone says you need to have. This is the one thing where everyone is suddenly hitting a wall and having a problem. This is no different. It is a public health crisis that we're dealing with. There is no chip in there. You are not going to turn into a liberal if you get the vaccination. My own mother, now my mother was a practicing pagan and then became a fundamentalist Christian who even said to me that facts don't matter and that there's a chip in the vaccine. I'm like, is she fucking kidding me? So I've stopped talking to her completely because she's just nuts. And it's unfortunate, but we're going to have to let some of these people go. And this could be passive eugenics. All I can tell you is there are people in my, in my day, daytime life who are literally dying because they didn't believe in the science. And they went to Florida, and they now have a fever that the doctors can't get under control. And this person is in the throes of mid to end stages of COVID because yeah. they didn't want to be quote unquote owned by the libs. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sitting here just thinking about what, you know, what we can expect. And I feel like, I feel like we're just going to see more of, of this, of, you know, as we approach the next election, we're going to, I mean, or the midterms, we're going to see more of this, this chaos and, um, you know, distract distraction politics, and, and basically, what what the attempt is is to try to uh, reduce voter participation and, and voter accessibility. Because um, the, the 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 people the people with the craft power that they they want to stay in control. Because there are people that really would love this to be a theocracy and not a democracy anymore, and that it would be you know Christian led state, and we just follow follow Christian rules and stuff like that. And there are people that are behind, behind that, that believe it or not, like people would have said, let's just mm-hmm. keep Trump in there. We don't need an election, you know, cause that's like, well, you've just, mm-hmm. you've just signed on for fascism. And they're like, I don't care. He's my guy. It's fine. And that's, it's not okay. I feel like what we have to watch out for is in um, the 2024 election. Um, we have yeah. to watch for who the right is going to put forward. Who is, I, I my greatest fear and my biggest concern is that we're going to end up with someone like Richard Spencer on the ticket. And if you're not mm-hmm. familiar with who he is, he's he's the the Nazi that got punched in the face. I'm familiar. He's most famous for. Um, but you know, he yeah. he has. I don't know if he still runs it, but he did run a, a essentially an a an alt right um, think tank. He, he is a white supremacist. He is a neo Nazi, and he is. I put this in very loose air quotes, conventionally attractive. I don't find this fucker attractive, mm-hmm. all right? Like, there are so right. many more people that I would rather see naked than this guy, probably about 6.8 billion people before I see this guy naked. However, right. he has this quote-unquote palatable look for a lot of people. He's clean cut. He has blonde sure. hair. He, he, you know, is he is uh, quote-unquote eloquent. He, he could spin the things that Trump has been saying that were just outright racist and he could spin it back into dog whistles. So people would be able to 
people that, that kind of had a hard time stomaching Trump would have an easier time stomaching him. And he is far more sure. effective in creating mm-hmm. the horrors and the oppressive, the oppressive thing that we, that basically turning this into a dictatorship, neo-Nazi state. That is what I fear is that somebody like him will end up on the ticket. Somebody from the shadows that walks forward, who's, who's charismatic and well-spoken and a lot easier to bring to a dinner party than Trump. And that's, that's when, that's when things are going to get really, really bad because it's going to be harder to turn them away. You know, some people held their nose and voted for Trump. People said, I just can't vote for somebody like that. And then a lot of people did. Well, what if you get somebody who doesn't have the, 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 um, the, the crass drawbacks of Trump, but has all the hateful ideology and has all that money and has all that power who can easily, more easily slip in? I guarantee that the people behind the scenes that are trying to stay in power, they're looking for this, this guy. It's going to be a good, maybe it'll be a woman. Who knows? You could, I mean, that would be even more dangerous. You get like a, a female Richard, Richard Spencer, you know, some sparkly, mm-hmm. blonde, blue-eyed Christian lady with a great smile who is also touting these. Um, <laughs> less people forget. It was the women who held up, white women held up the antebellum South, and white women are holding up this evil wing of our, of, um, of our country right now that's trying to oppress others and, and turn this into a, you know, a, a theocratic neo-Nazi state. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's a danger when we think it's only going to be the men. Uh, women ran the plantations in the South, and women are running these agendas behind the scenes. White women are. So that, uh-huh. that to me, would be a scary thing. So... It's yeah. very handmade tale. <laughs> it it's a very Gilead. It's a Gilead setup. Uh, you know, if, mm-hmm. if for those who watch The Handmaid's Tale or you've read Margaret Atwood's books, um, it's you know, although the men are running Gilead, it was the commander's wife who came up with most of the ideas to speak to what you were just yep. saying. It's very true. Yep. Um, women hold a lot of power um, behind the scenes for most things, I feel. Um, but the men mm-hmm. are just, <laughs> men lack the finesse of doing it in a way that's palatable. Um, and I don't know if the Republicans are yet ready for a Richard Spencer kind of guy because I don't think their supporters are the more intelligent ones. I'm sorry. It's just, for me, this is a fact. It's a personal opinion and not reflective on my guest. But my feeling is for the same reason they put um, George W. Bush into office because he was relatable. He's the guy you can have a drink with. All of those relatable things, that's why I think Trump got in. I think Trump got in because he spoke to the base reactions of, you know, racism and white heteronormative maleness, toxicity, you know, oppressing women, oppressing the quote-unquote other. You know, the first thing he did was put in a Muslim ban. I mean, the guy had... I don't even know if he was in office yet when he did it. It was just fucking crazy. And I just see that folks that vote in that manner are not yet ready for somebody clean cut. Now, unless they are waiting for a complete shift to happen in their supporter base, 
because the Trump base is less educated, more rural, more blue collar, all of the stats you want to throw in there, um, the other guy would attract more of the Republican elite. And I don't know if there's enough Republican elite to defeat the Republican backwoods thought. Right. Right. I mean, well, then this, me if you could get somebody who's like a Toby Keith, you know, who's, who's uh-huh. um, you know, funny and like, or you get, uh, I'm, uh, my husband, and I just started watching Ted Lasso and uh, you get some kind of neocon, Ted, Ted Lasso, the character is not a neocon, but say that you've got one, uh-huh. <laughs> an all right person that has that kind of folksy down home, you know, manner of speech. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think that's sure. what, yeah, I, I don't, Sarah Palin is necessarily alt-right, but I think she could, was kind of swept up in that Tea Party stuff that had plenty of, of alt-right stuff in there. But I think that was also Sarah mm-hmm. Palin was that attempt is to try to, to reach people on a down-home level. And they're like, oh, that was, a, that was a gamble and we lost there, you know. But you could get uh-huh. somebody, you could, yeah. you know, I just, I see, I, I, I fear there's going to be some kind of preacher's wife woman who's going to come in who's, you know, with a southern charm and the blonde hair and she's 36 years old and she's super pretty in a pink suit and she comes out and she spews the all right stuff but in a way that charms that base that's what i fear like a Tommy it's somebody Raren, like her coming out of the shower classier. yeah like a, and then a and then it's like and then it's like well she's a woman don't you liberals and you feminists want to see a woman in power i'm like uh right. not if she's you know, but we're all on Team Maleficent now in the witchcraft community. But you know, forty years ago, <laughs> Maleficent was still a villain. Yeah. I'd be like, not if she's that. But actually, we all like Maleficent now, so right. thanks to Angelina Jolie. So, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> she did make the character yeah. more attractive. I do admit. So, all right, and, uh, well, and get yeah. vaccinated. For everybody who isn't vaccinated, please, if you're able to, um, please get vaccinated. Please protect yourselves and the people you love and maybe the world at large, too. It's important. But I do want to talk yeah. about this amazing book, Hecate, God Thank of the Wow. Um, yeah, I wrote another book, yeah. Raina. I know. <laughs> You are really, really prolific with your writing, I have to say. Which book is this? Eight, twenty, thirty? Holy shit. This is only number four. This is number four. What? So yeah. Like more? Yeah. This is, this, You're out there. Yeah, it's it's this one was a tough one. It, she was really, really hard. So my first two books were um uh well, my first two goddess books were about Bridget and the Morgan, respectively. And I, I, those difficult because there's just not a lot of concrete information about who these goddesses were to the the original people who worshiped them. You you can trace a lot of threads being Bridget through St. Bridget, but you've got a lot of, you've got, you know, 2000 years of of Catholic influence in there, or maybe more like 1200 years of Catholic influence in there, which is valid. And I don't, I don't Uh ever want to disparage that. And, um, I don't think people do it as much as they do as they used to when it comes to St. Bridget and Bridget, but it's still, it's still, it's still hard to see who she was. She doesn't have a lot of appearances in the original myths. 
Um, and the Morgan right. is um, a very contradictory figure, and you just have to kind of guess. And we're we're looking at tales from a lot of different areas of Ireland at a time in the world when we don't have a lot of context for what these the, these images or these myths meant to the original people. So we can just really just have to guess. And um, so uh-huh. I was excited about Hakate at first because I was like, well, there's so much more information. This will be so much easier. No, that was that made it harder because there was so much information that I had to really pick one path through it um, because you could look at, at Hakate in, in a lot of different ways. But I just felt like the, the, the easiest path for me as a witch and as an author uh-huh. was looking at her as a goddess of witches. And I say that very early in the book. She's a lot of things to a lot of people. And so she's not solely a goddess of witches. But I'm going to look at her mm-hmm. as a goddess for witches because that's what I know. And I had to pick one thread. So here we go. So, <laughs> it was hard. I have, well, it, and it sounds like it was hard. And But, you know, the book, the book isn't hard. The book is challenging, but it's not difficult. Does that make sense? I, I think you I weave so. a path for – no, you do. You weave a path for – um, discovery, you weave a path for worship, you weave a path for following, um, experiments, talismans, spells, transitions into one thing to another, things I hadn't even thought about because I did not anticipate that this book was going to be as – for me as a witch, it was all-encompassing, but, no, you know – because I don't know how other people who are not necessarily witches view this one specific entity. So yeah, I'm glad you <laughs> glad you narrowed it down so that <laughs> I could understand it. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's a wonderful book. I'm just kind of amazed because it seems like this particular goddess has you know really surged in popularity even more over the last eight to ten years than mm-hmm. previously. Is there? Do you think there's a specific reason for that, or are you seeing something totally different? Well, I feel that I think there's a lot of things going on. First of all, witchcraft in general is seeing a, a great surge, and a part of that is because people are leaving mainstream religions um, part of that is, a, you know what, I'm not even going to apologize for this. This is the reason why um, I had a, a listener write, reach out to my podcast angrily, as we said, that a, a rise in a, the interest in witchcraft is growing in part response to, um, you know, the era of Trump and wanting to make, to, wanting to hold I me. Mean, people come into witchcraft and truly believe because they crave um, the need to control and they crave power in their own lives. Um, and because they mm-hmm. feel disempowered, they feel out of control, witchcraft is is a practice that can help people navigate that space. Um, and Hecate being with, with so many, so much reach into magic, so much reach into witchcraft is, um, is certainly an, an access point. I also feel that people are more um, aware of the challenges of cultural appropriation now, I say that this is that's mm-hmm. a much bigger conversation, and so we could spend a whole other topic right. on that. But I think people are more sensitive about reaching out to deities of traditionally marginalized or uh, colonized cultures, including Irish cultures, um, and being mindful uh-huh. of 
of, you know, now, now there's, there's a lot of discussion about, like, there's a big difference between having a personal relationship with a deity of another culture and including that, that deity in your, pra- your personal practice and making a ton of money off that deity that comes from a different culture. Those are very, very different things and a whole other discussion. So I'm not sure. I don't want anyone to listen, hear me say this and say that I think that people should only work with deities of their own culture. There is really, especially we Americans, we're, we're, su- we're such an eclectic bunch that that's really impossible for most of us. Um, so I don't want people to right. walk away with that. I'm just saying that's observation I have. And there's also challenges mm-hmm. around um, appropriation within the Greek cultures as well. So I, I just want to name those things. But understand, listeners, this is not me telling you who you can and cannot worship. Um, that, that's right. um, I, I personally believe that coming in with a respectful approach and if the divine calls to you, you can't argue with that. Um, and there's a big difference between honoring the deity in a way of, and, and learning about that deity from people of native sources. Um, as long as you're not yeah. like taking that deity out of context and worshiping them in a, in a, in a way that would be, would be considered inappropriate or, 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 you know, and that's a journey. And again, it's a whole other topic. And I didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole, but it really does come. I feel that, that there's um, people, there's not as, as, much of that history with the Greek culture, there is not as much of that um, of the history of colonization, the history of of cultural mm-hmm. theft coming out of it. So I think that there's more people are feeling more comfortable about approaching Greek deities than they might say of a different culture that has been more tra- traditionally more marginalized. Again, observation, uh-huh. not like nobody gets permission out of me to, to work with any specific deity ever under any circumstances. I hope I'm right. making sense, Raina, and I'm not just rounding the mouth. Um, but I feel like that there's part you know, of that I as think, well. But I also just – go ahead. I think, I think what you're doing is trying to thoughtfully remind folks to not – you know, the whole thing about cultural appropriation is to take something and benefit off of it personally. I think – private practice, which is what a lot of us do, um, is a very different thing because we're coming at it from a religious, thoughtful, appreciative, gratitude perspective as opposed to a money maker. I don't worship Hecate because um, of anything I might monetarily benefit off of somebody else's tradition. I worship the goddess as I do in the privacy of my home, I don't make a spectacle of it. I don't, you know what I'm saying? It's not for public consumption, just like, you know, how do I put this? Um, Men with big penises, like I have one, a man with a big penis. And I don't like denigrate other folks with big penises. It's like that one's my personal one and it's for use in my own home. Does that make sense? It's like I'm not out there trying to make money off of this group. Yeah. And I feel like the, I feel like actually a really great movie to watch if you just want to think about it is the nightmare before Christmas, because I feel like that story is actually a really great analogy for cultural. It is. I mean, if Jack, Jack was feeling like he was missing something in his own practice of Halloween and he goes and he learns about Christmas, but instead of like having a conversation with Santa and being like, Hey, what's this all about? And then adopting certain things, that are about Christmas into his practice, he went and stole yeah. Christmas. Like he took over right. Christmas. He didn't have to do that. 
he was like, he's like, no, Santa, right. I'll just take it, and I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it better, and I'm gonna ignore the things about Christmas that make it Christmas, and just, but it, mm-hmm. it's like the people of Halloween Town had their own Christmas that you know maybe maybe that included some spooky elements because it's within their context, but it doesn't replace right. Christmas. They're not saying this is the real Christmas. This is how Christmas is supposed to be celebrated. They're like, well. This is how we're we've we've learned from it, and we're adopting some things into our practice, you know, around this time. But the you know we're not taking right. away from what Christmas is for everybody. And so I feel like if you watch it that way, and um, then uh, and I've had some people get really mad at me for saying it, like, don't say that watching Christmas, you know, right before Christmas is cultural appropriation. I'm like, I literally did not. But I said it's a really great way to try to understand the distinction. And, and at the end of the movie, they spoiler alert, they figured it out. I guess Santa, he worked it out with Santa, and he's like, you know, I just kind of wanted to – and Santa's like, listen, here's how – here's some Christmas for you. And so they started celebrating Christmas mm-hmm. in a way that was – that, but then didn't, like, take it away from – it's not like they said, nope, Halloween, we only do Halloween. They said Merry Christmas. They were playing in the snow. You know, they had a, they said this is a Christmas miracle or something like that. They had a great time, um, but they didn't take over and change the meaning of it and ignore what Christmas was actually about. They, you know, they learned from Christmas. There's a big, there's a very big difference. But back to your question about Hecate, I feel like that may be part of it is people feeling that this is a more, like this is a more open path to working with a deity uh-huh. and, um, I, I also think we are in a liminal time. We're at a crossroads um, in humanity's history. Are we going to solve this climate crisis? Are we not? Are we going to continue to embrace democracy? Are we going to um, move into, are we going to embrace fascism? And Hakate, being a goddess of the crossroads, I feel that she's really uh, present right now. We're at a big crossroads, y'all. <laughs> That's where we're at. I think we're um, always at a crossroads, though. Anytime there's a grab for power, you know, it can go either way. And I think people still don't realize just because we survived four years of, of what we went through doesn't mean that that four years isn't going to repeat itself on blast somewhere down the road. Um, right. And I think complacency is a dangerous thing. We already see bills being passed in Texas literally being passed they're no longer just what ifs they are now becoming laws in texas they can replace um whoever oversees the election at will they can change who's allowed to vote where they can change the number of i'm telling you it's going once you start whittling down rights the only place to wind up is without them eventually because that is the beginning. You start with this law, it it evolves into this. Well, we passed that law. Why can't we pass this law? And it just right. evolves into a fascist state. You know, already there are there are women's rights issues that are going to be coming before the Supreme Court. We already know we are in the minority in the Supreme Court. Um, this is why Justice Byers, please, please, please consider retiring so we don't have another situation like we did when RBG died, um, right. where we are now stuck with the inability to replace that person on the court with a liberal justice. 
you are really leaving things to chance. That's why I believe there should now maybe be term limits on Supreme Court justices. It should not be a lifetime appointment. Um, things change. Perspectives change. The world changes. Um, I think it might be something to consider. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I'm still, I'm still of the belief that I wish that, that there was an 18-year limit on Supreme Court justices. And that way, every single president mm-hmm. gets the chance to appoint one. And that's fair. Yeah. Okay, so if we have a Republican president, let him or her or them, you know, pick someone. Fine. And then that means that when the Democrats are in power or whoever else will we go bigger, you know, more of that for the two-party system, that, you know, that you have somebody – I mean – um, I, I, it has it is made me very sad that the Supreme mm-hmm. Court has now been used as, as a political tool. It's supposed to be neutral ground, but it's no longer. It, 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 is, it has become an incipient tool of power to, to, to really to take away a lot of, of fundamental rights from people. Um, and that's very scary. So it's like, please, you know, please put term limits on these, these justices, please. You know, 18 years is great. Yeah. There's plenty of time for them to make a very big difference. It's a whole generation, and then they gotta go. Uh, <laughs> and then, then you don't have the, then you don't have the opportunity for someone like McConnell to be like, well, the people have spoken. You know, well, we don't want to do an election right. here. Well, people have spoken. This is who they want. God. Right. So yeah. speaking of term limits, and I'm gonna dovetail this very oddly, like I do most things. Um, do you think that that when we have God and goddess worship that there are kind of time limits where one may step back, another one may step forward? Or is it common that folks, because I don't know this, because I've had different entities come in and out of my life. Um, like I had told you earlier, you know, Hecate didn't come to me in in any kind of, cool romantic way basically it was i'm going to throw all these people in your path so you start asking questions um so here i am what you going to do about it you know what i mean so i've had that that was kind of more my experience with this particular goddess and i was just wondering if that's a normal thing or not a normal thing you know as far as people or, or gods or entities coming in and out of your life? Are there folks who basically get one early on and stick with that one forever, or do pantheons change over time in our perception? You know, I don't know what is normal, um, but what I will say is what I, I think has been common um, I think it's more common for um, for for people to for people to have more than one more than one come in and out of of their lives over the over the years. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's I don't I don't think it ha- it is. Um, I I I I don't know of anyone who has had one deity and has stayed with that deity only and has had no other deities come into their life in any capacity. I have seen people that have had one main deity come in early in their lives and stick around. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And I have seen people come in for a season and then move on. I think it's more common for people. To, so I, that's why I don't want to say that it's, it's, it's normal because somebody may have a different experience. I don't really think there is a normal pattern with this. I think it's just so, I think it's individual. And I also think it's, it's, it's evolving and shifting and we just don't, we just, you know, there's, there will maybe a hundred years from now, there's going to be more of an established pattern we can all see, but it's too soon for that. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's more common for one to have a deity that they work with for a while and then have others that may come in and work at the same time. I mean, for me, Bridget's been my, my main deity since I first entered witchcraft, but there's been times where she's kind mm-hmm. of stepped back and others have taken a fuller, um, taken a, a bigger space in the work. And yeah. sometimes that was confusing. And I wondered if I was doing something wrong, if I was losing touch with Bridget and it's, it's like, no, she, she comes yep. back in. It's just that where I'm mm-hmm. going and what my needs are and the kind of work that I'm, that I need to do or the people that I'm surrounded with, um, then mm-hmm. I do think we're also highly influenced by the people that we're, we're close with. When I was in New York, um, I was uh, surrounded by a lot of people that were connected with Bridget. So therefore Bridget was very strong in my life because she was strong in their lives. But I also had a lot of people who were very, mm-hmm. very much um, connected with Hakate. And so Hakate was a big influence. And I think it was being out here in Oregon and there was a lot of Morgan influence out here in Oregon. And so I was having a feeling a lot of, of um of morgan experiences because i'm rubbing elbows with morgan people and then when i've traveled to different parts of the country i found you know different um i found different experience different experiences with people um you know and so it's i guess i don't really have an answer for that but i think i do think it can shift for people and i think in a lot of ways that it does you know yeah, because I so. used to have this vision that I was, you know, I must be very fickle because I can't stick to one. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, you quest, you question yourself. It's like, how, you know, am I, am I doing this wrong? Because I feel the pull of this god or goddess, and then I feel the, feel the pull of this god or goddess, and you start to wonder. It's like. Am I doing something wrong? Am I supposed to be sticking to one or three as opposed to whatever seems to come in at the moment? So it's nice to hear that it's, you know, because I don't have a lot of these conversations with other witches because we're all, like, working for a living and doing other shit. So it's part of why I like having the show so I can have these conversations and find out, am I odd or is this common? So it sounds like it's very common, which is a relief. It is. It is. It's polytheism for a reason. Um, I mean, we don't know how these different cultures with these different temples, yes, they, they had – I mean, from what, what I've learned of ancient Greece, these different deities had had specific temples that were uh, were um, dedicated to them, and those temples were filled with priests and priestesses who had dedicated their lives to working with that temple. But then you had common people who weren't priests or priestesses that were going around making different offerings and asking for different things at different temples. And so they they pro- none of them likely had one deity that they were connected to. Now, we're in a very strange period mm-hmm. in human history as we have um, people in the pagan community who are priests and priestesses, but we're not able to go live in a temple. So we're, we're out there working in the world. And so we might have one deity, but then we have, you know, other deities that would periodically offer 
offerings to as well. And who's to say these priests or priestesses didn't on specific feast days go out and make these offerings? We just don't know. It's polytheism. Mm -hmm. It's multiple deities. My feeling is that people wondering if there's a problem with them, uh, you know, being more fluid in who they they work with and worship may may be influenced from Christianity in the sense of there being just one true God and everything else is, you know, anything else is an abomination. I feel like there may be that kind of influence as well. Um, I think that, oh, yeah. that Christianity has affected uh, paganism and pagan practitioners in a, in, in a lot of ways that people may not even realize, you know. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, oh, I totally yeah. agree with that. Because I find myself, you know, when I go to the altar in the morning, it's, it feels sometimes because I was raised by two Pentecostal preachers, it it feels some of it very similar um, when I do a devotional for gratitude or a blessing or a some kind of a working and it just it, the patterns feel similar, but I, I also caution myself not to be dissuaded because it sounds or feels that way this is not the same thing just because it's it's kind of like being in love you can be in love with this person and that person but it's still a different love because you don't love people the same way um right so i kind of have to over override that knee-jerk reaction because i think a lot of people who may have been raised in christianity while there are many things we don't like about it and that's why we don't continue doing it, um, there are still basic tenets of God worship or goddess worship that are just mm-hmm. going to be the same. So, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a struggle. It is on occasion. Yeah. But I think yeah. our gods are super cool and um, kind yeah. of scary. You know, I... I I really still worry about folks who are like, you know, they look at the gods as their friends who kind of like do them favors and, oh, no, no, I would, and this is not a goddess I would do that with even as a joke because I'm afraid of her. (laughs) She kicked my ass. I'm just saying. Oh, oh, I know. I mean, Hakate, Hakate has literally, I've seen her burn things down, like talking flames and fire department burn things. And um, she, she is, uh, she, one of my favorite stories of Hakate was um, when I was in New York every year at Samhain and Samhain is not traditionally a Hecate holiday. I just want to make that very clear. It's Samhain is an Irish holiday. Um, I was in New York uh-huh. and we had a very, it was a very eclectic group with people, you know, it just, it, it ended up making, you know, for our group to do um, honor Hakate, goddess of ghosts and crossroads at the same time that we're honoring um, the dead. And Samhain is also a time of honoring mm-hmm. the dead. We would make sure to honor Klakta, who was the original goddess of, um, of, of Samhain before we would, you know, do that. But we would often, I would, every year I went to the Nibero, which is a live poulterer, and had a chicken killed. And I would, I would ask, you know, mm-hmm. um, ask the, uh, the, the, the handler to let me bless the chicken first. So I'd pray for the chicken and I always pray that he'd come back as a house cat and live a very lazy life. And then nice. they would take the chicken back nice. and then stir it. And, yeah, and then they'd give, us, give yeah. us the chicken. And I would often have my coveners who were meat eaters. I said, you should come. I said, if you eat meat throughout the year, 
you should come and experience yeah. this. And so they came, they would yeah. come and, you know, say like, if you have a hard time seeing your, seeing your meat before it's killed, then maybe it's time to stop eating mm-hmm. meat. You need to own this. And so then they would help yeah. me prepare it. And then we would you know, offer the first offering slice to Hakate and the rest would go to feed everybody at, at the Snowin feast. Well, the year of Hurricane Sandy, cool. that didn't happen for lots of reasons. Things were crazy. Uh, couldn't get to the barrow. Didn't have time to go to the grocery store and prepare a chicken. So we get to the Sawin Circle. I'm like, I'm really sorry, Tati, that this happened. We just couldn't make it. We couldn't make it work. Right. Um, the woman who embodied Hakate was a strict vegan. And then the next day she took a train to D.C. and the train hit a deer and she felt the deer under her car. Oh. Under her train car. Yikes. Yeah, so I we're like, Hakate oh, said, boy. Yeah, she's like, you didn't give me a chicken. I'm taking something bigger, and I'm making your vegan give it to me. <laughs> Damn. Oh, yep. <laughs> she don't play. <laughs> no, she doesn't this play. This is not all. a goddess to trifle with. Yeah, this is this is no game. I mean, I don't think people often see or experience that, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. In essence, if you tell a deity that you are going to make a commitment, the deity will exact or exact whatever it is that you have promised in one manner or another. That's why it's really, it's something to really think about before you swear to anything, especially with a deity, because you will be held to that measure whether you see it or not. And it could really wind up hurting someone else that you don't intend to have hurt. Um, and it could be mild or it could be severe. But there, there are penalties. You know, there are, there are give and take. There are uh, things that, you know, when you make a promise, you got to try to stick to it. Just saying. That's interpersonal and interdeity and everything else. This is a serious business. I just it, And the reason I say that is because I still see a lot of people who look at paganism, goddess worship, god worship, as um, just like an easy road. And it's really not. I, yeah. I still find that uh, there are folks out there who are like, oh, it's all a game and it doesn't really mean anything in the back of their minds. No, it, it means everything. You know, it's not any less serious than any other path or, or religion, you know. Not, not to say that all people who are magic users are religious people. A lot of them don't believe in gods at all. But if you're going to commit to something like this or commit to a specific god or goddess or entity or deity, um, be really certain of what you're asking for and, and what you're willing to do for what yeah. you're asking for. So. You know, but this book is for sure. Awesome. <laughs> so thank you. Tell me a little bit more. If you have a couple of extra minutes, and I hope you do, um, tell me about uh, the spells you you put in the book, um, like the one to uh, like attracting a lover or the goodbye. My favorite one was the goodbye spell, obviously, because we've had to say a lot of goodbyes this year. And um, 
I, like I said to you earlier, I really wish I'd had that a year ago, but I have it now, so I'm going to use it now. Because there's been just a lot of falling away of, of people in the past year, whether intentionally or not intentionally. Have you experienced any of that, too? The goodbyes? Um, you know, I did a lot of that actually pre-pandemic, now that I think about it. They, you know, in 2019... <laughs> um, was the was was the year 2018 and 2019 were the years of a lot of goodbyes for me. Um, this has been a year of of people from long ago kind of creeping back in actually, and I've I've had to uh, had to reclose a couple of doors. <laughs> wow! Yeah. But honestly, that's also part of that's when I was working on Hecate. And that's part of Hecate is taking out the trash. And I, I don't mean that to say that the people I said goodbye to were trash. That was kind of a crass way of saying it. But she does remove things, right? She's the new moon. She's the banisher. She is the one that she is the one that, that the Greeks would pray to to remove impurities from the communities. And so in some ways, it's yeah. been, and I, I, I'm also saying that doesn't mean that I think Hecate has marked those people as bad, but I think that she marks that these paths are really not working all that well together. We probably ought to move, separate them. Um, sure. Kind of the way sure. I, you know, so I, I think that's, that's, that's really important, I think, to remember. Um, so I, 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 you know, it's so funny. A lot of these spells I don't even remember writing because I'm looking through the book as you and I are talking. And, uh-huh. Maybe that's channeling, or maybe it's because sometimes when I, you know, it's it's that um, these are things that were either based on spells that I've done before, or the ones that I uh-huh. um, was inspired because they they just felt right, and so they felt that they would likely work for someone. Um, a lot of my magic is influenced mm-hmm. by hoodoo and Appalachian folk magic, and so there's going to be, I would say, the essence of that. Uh, and this, these are, this is not a book of Hoodoo spells, not a book of Appalachian spells, but there's going to be an essence of that by using certain candles and using, um, you know, in, in certain implements that that make a that make some work happen. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, I, but I feel that Hakate is is so much about removing obstacles, removing things that aren't working for you. I feel like this is. This is important work to do, but again, go in brave because she's going to she she's going to take some stuff out and maybe some surprising ways, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I've definitely um, but noticed that. I, but I, it's ultimately, though, I year. yeah, I I want the the spells. The spells are very easy. Um, they don't require mm-hmm. a lot of materials. I don't like spells that require a lot of investment on the part of the person. Um, <laughs> financially speaking or even energetically speaking. Um, so a lot of the Thank things, you. the spells in this book can be, yeah, you're welcome. You know, a lot of spells in this book can be done with things you have at your home or materials you can buy from a metaphysical store rather, you know, in a rather inexpensive way. So yeah, that's, that's what I, what I hope. And then it's just kind of, you know, she, she is not just a goddess of one thing. There's a lot of different things that she can do and uh, but then also there's some work in there that if you just want to get to know her better, uh, this is a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Which I'm very appreciative of for people that have asked me about, you know, learning more about her. Because um, a lot of folks are curious, but they don't know where to start. So this is a great book for 
for those people and for people who have developed a practice of Hecate or Hecate worship. I, I'm sorry, I've been saying Hecate my entire life. So when I hear somebody say Hecate, it takes me a minute to <laughs> readjust. Also, as fine it too. Hecate is just what I've embraced, but Hecate is, is absolutely fine. Cool. Okay, good. Because some people get yeah. very touchy about pronunciation. Um, but I think this book is really fantastic, and I have in, really enjoyed it. And I, I find that it's a book that I've referred to more than once since I got it. Um, so I'm very appreciative of that. As somebody who's been uh, working with this goddess for the past, really in sincerity for the past five years, um, which is to me so weird at my age because I'm an older person. And it's like you think that your practice is, you know, settled in and you've got this methodology and this pantheon that you deal with and you know everything is kind of the same but it it can hit you at any time you know when the gods want your attention they want your attention don't don't ignore yeah i think um john beckett had said something like you ignore the gods at your peril or something similar to that um or you can try, but you're only making it harder for yourself, which I also find yeah. to be very true. But, Courtney, thank you so much for, for coming and hanging out with me for an hour. I, I've missed just talking to you. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to do this again really soon. So tell me before oh, we go you. what I you're doing. you so much. I always have so much fun on your show. And I appreciate that because I just adore you. But I want to know uh, before we go. What are you working on right now? What can we expect next? Well, I've, I've finally finished a novel I've been working on for five years. Started that before I wrote The Morgan, wrote The Morgan and Hecate during breaks between this novel. So the novel I've, I've finished wow. and I'm now shopping it around for agents. So um, any agents that are listening that are looking for um, a story that combine that a story of a young woman who is trying to save her husband in a Slavic fairy tale um, that's also intertwined with mm-hmm. Pacific Northwest folklore, give me a call. It's really funny and it's really scary. So um, really? I, that's my, my cool. main thing. Um, I am with my podcast at Witch Life. We are hosting a virtual conference in October. Um, it's two full nice. days. You can join from anywhere in the world. We have a lot of incredible speakers, including Amy Chizari, Morgan Daimler, uh, Dakota St. Clair, um, and Pamela Chen. And we'll be talking about everything from um, fairies to financial sorcery to working with uh, saints and witchcraft. Um, and it's, it's going to be a really – and Amy Blackthorne's coming on as well. She's going to be talking about liminal spaces with witchcraft. Awesome. And so it, it's, it's going to be a phenomenal, yeah. a, a phenomenal time. So um, you can follow me on CourtneyAWeber.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter all the time. Um, and my podcast is That Witch Life. And so um, if you like this for house witches, you might like my podcast too, if you don't mind the plug. So, You'll love it. Yeah. You'll love it. You'll love it. No, are you kidding? I'm, I'm a big fan. And if you have a link for your conference, I will be more than happy to throw it up on my page. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's on thatwitchlife.com. It's it's the the podcast page. We've got a brand-new website, and that's people can register for the conference. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely link up with that. Um, yeah, to me, there's no competition in in podcasting. There's enough room for everybody, you know. 
Absolutely. Yeah, so really- I really appreciate it. Yeah, there's enough room for us all. <laughs> We're all a bit different. If you, anybody who heard this podcast knows, I'm liable to say crazy shit at a moment's notice because I just do. That's me. Anyway, Courtney Weber, thank you again. Guys, please get the book, Hecate, Hecate, Goddess of Witches. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. And I will talk to you very soon, my dear. Thank you again. Thank you, Raina. It's always a pleasure. Same here. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody, this was episode two of the Triple Shot Weekend. Tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., join me as I talk to the amazing, the lovely, the wonderful author, Deborah Lip, her new book, Beginner's Guide to the Occult. That's going to be fun. So I will see you all tomorrow morning. Have a wonderful night. Stay safe. 